This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi friends, I'm Tim Whitaker and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Uh, hi, friends. Okay, I just, I'm just i laughing because I just wrapped up this conversation that I'm now making an intro for. I want to preface right away. Uh, this was a great conversation, I thought, but it's definitely an adult conversation. I'm not sure what we're going to title this episode yet, but I brought on Maddie Jo Kausert. She is an author of the book, God, Sex, and Rich People. She is on Instagram, someone who really deconstructed purity culture, and she just talks very openly and plainly about sex. And so I'm just telling you, this is not a kid-friendly or even safe-for-work-friendly episode, and not because of anything that's like, you know, um, crass. We just we just talk very plainly about sex and what happens during sex and positions, and we use common language for this stuff. So I'm just letting you know right now, this episode talks a lot about sex. And honestly, I got pretty open and honest about some thoughts on this stuff. And I talk a lot about, <laughs> oh man, I mean, I, I me and my partner are very open anyway, so it's not a secret. But I, I talked a lot about like my experience moving out of purity culture as well. This was a very raw and honest conversation. And I, I'm thrilled to have Maddie on the podcast, but I'm just letting you know, this is a very real conversation. We we use terminology. We use normal language, okay? So take it for what you will, but this is, I would definitely not have your kids listen to this while you're driving in the car. I would not be putting it on at work. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm trying not to blush, but hey, it is what it is, right? People have sex. It just It's how the world works and it's normal. And maybe I'm still deconstructing part of my shame even talking about it. So that being said, friends, thanks so much for being here. I hope that you enjoy this episode. I would love your feedback on it. And of course, we are a nonprofit organization. That's why we do all this work and put the paywall free. If you want to share the podcast, that helps us get out there more. I'm not sure if you want to share this one right away for like a new audience member. But if you have someone dealing with purity culture trauma and like kind of navigating beyond that and thinking about sexual ethics, this could be a perfect episode. <laughs> Uh, anyway, all right, friends. Uh, yeah, like I said, if you want to share the podcast, that'd be great. We are doing big things. I want to mention, I'm sure I'll mention this in, in episodes prior to this, but I am working at this moment on a 
ad-free version of the podcast. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Let me be honest, ads really help us out. They actually give us a decent amount of money to help cover certain costs. So ads are key, but also I know some of you are like, I don't want to hear ads. Like, can I just pay like five bucks a month for an ad-free version? I'm working on that, just so you know. Maybe even by this time, it will be out. I don't know. I'm recording this November 29th, and this episode will probably come out sometime in the end of December or January. So we'll see how much I can get done until then. But yeah, hope you're doing well, friends. Thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback on this one, and I'll talk to you later. See ya. This is Tim from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a new donor. I grew up in a fundamental church environment being taught that our way was the right way. After getting married, my wife and I then started to meet followers of Jesus that were outside of the paradigm of what a Jesus follower, quote, should be. Eventually, we started to realize that actually following Jesus is pretty simple. Love God and love neighbor. Well, just like he told us to do 2,000 years ago. I eventually found this podcast, and it quickly has become one of the staple resources to help me deprogram my closed-minded thinking that I grew up with. So thanks to you, Tim, this team, and to all of you out there on your unique faith journey. Hold on to Jesus, his love, and love for neighbor. Have a great day. All right. Wow. Hello, friends. Hi. And hi, Maddie Joe Kausert. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making time. It's so good to be here. You are just full of energy and it's early in the morning. So props to you. Yeah. I mean, I've had one caffeinated cup of coffee and I'm on my second, but it's decaf. So Okay. Okay. I'm also just excited to be here. And I've been like watching back on interviews I've done recently. And I was like, I have to stop like smiling so awkwardly when I'm excited. But, you know, here we are. Genuine happiness, the joy of the Lord, you know? Yes, totally. And better a smile than a frown. I'm also <laughs> drinking out of my mug. My mug says blocked by Mark, by Pastor Mark Driscoll. It's like a, a picture <laughs> of Twitter that the What If Project sent me. I'm like, thank you. I will use it all the time. So that's my mug. That's anyway. <laughs> mine's, mine's vintage Winnie the Pooh, circa 1996. It's absolutely classic. <laughs> well, listen, it's good to have you on the podcast finally. We were chatting before we recorded that we connected. I went through the DMs. May like 15th, 2021 was the first time I DM'd you in response to something on your story about a song. And then we kind of kept in touch because we both found each other in like this deconstruction, exvangelical explosion. That's kind of how I I came across your account. Mm -hmm. And then we've kind of been in touch ever since. And then I think I'm not sure if it's your agent or who it is, reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, Maddie is writing a book. And I'm like... Yeah, that'd be great. And I I remember (laughs) you talking about this book a while ago. And as someone who is currently in the process of writing a book himself with the publisher, I know how long it takes to write a book. (laughs) All all, all of the hairs that you pull out all the time trying to figure out the best way to phrase things. It's a real nightmare. I'm not sure why I signed up for this. A labor of love, for sure. That's what I call it. Like, oh my gosh, it is such an ordeal. And yeah, like my book was, I was supposed to release it in November. Mm. So like this month. And then I was like, you know, I should probably be like completely finished with the book before I tell people it's coming out. (laughs) (laughs) So we pushed the date, um, which we can talk more about. But yeah, no, it just always takes there's so many steps to it. And it's like, even once you're done, you still need another copy of it. And then it has to go into typesetting. And then you have to get it bound and make sure you have the right, you know, dimensions for your cover art. So it's yeah, it's a lot. So your book is called Is it God, Sex and Rich People? 
Yeah, God, sex, cool. and rich people, a recovering evangelical testimony. Wow. I wonder what your history is. Well, let's dig into <laughs> it. Why don't you give us some background? I mean, in, in the email I got, your dad used to preach at Stuart, Stuart Allen Clark's church. Now, friends, let yeah. me give you a throwback because I was like, who the hell is Stuart Allen Clark? Or Clark, I looked him up. Oh, you He's, know him. I do now. <laughs> I, re I remembered. He's the guy who was caught on camera, like at his church, talking about why women need to look pretty all the time for their husbands. And he went viral for all the wrong reasons. He he took yeah. some time away, quote unquote. And we covered that. This had to be almost a year and a half ago, maybe two yeah. years ago now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God, your dad used to preach there. So I want to unpack your story. Let's just Dude, start at the I beginning. Grew, I, I lived in the parsonage of that church. Oh like my I God. lived in, yeah, I, I spent so much time in that empty church, you know, as pastors, kids do like I talk about this in my book. Like I, I, I like pretend swam in so many baptismals, you know, like you just got into some shit as a pastor's kid, but yeah, totally. like, yeah, I, mean, I could talk about that guy too. Oh my God. Anyway. So how did you grow up though? Like, what was it more? Let's start here. You obviously grew up evangelical. Were you homeschooled? Was the more reformed tradition, more charismatic? Like, which flavor of evangelical trauma are we going to unpack yeah. today? Which like grape varietal? Yeah, exactly. My, exactly. Yeah, You're looking my, at like, um, you know, purple grapes, green grapes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say I grew up, you know, all of non-denominational ism is basically Southern Baptist, right? Yeah, right? But so I was raised General Baptist, which is in a separate denomination. It's not like, like when I was working with my editor, she was like, I think you need to like suss this out because a normal reader would be like, oh, so just like a general Baptist. I'm like, no, it's different than a first Baptist, which is different than a second Baptist, you know? Um, but anyway, so General Baptist and like my my the opening line of my book is my roots in evangelicalism are as steep as my roots in America, mm -hmm. as deep as my roots in America. My great grandfather was a Baptist pastor. My other great grandfather was a Baptist pastor and they were like revivalist Christians. So I guess more charismatic, but then then like in their practice. Right. But still Baptist. Then you get to my dad and he spent his early days. Meth as a Methodist pastor, but I wasn't around for that part. So we got back into General Baptist by the time I came around because I'm the youngest of four. And then by the time I was in like sixth grade, my dad got no sixth or seventh grade. Uh, anyway, middle school. My dad got on staff. So he wasn't like the head pastor. He was the community pastor, which means like, I mean, you maybe know what it means, but he just like made the small groups and shit and made sure people felt welcome when they arrived and they're part of the family. The, right? the greeters were ready to go. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and if you meet my dad, like he's the perfect candidate for that role, actually. And he got on church at a trendy, cool, non-denominational Hillsong type nice. church. Nice. So then church went from being kind of this like place that we had to go. It was my entire community, but like, I don't remember having like strong opinions about it to being like, oh, cool, attractive, trendy, you know, and, and those were like my my pubescent years that that's like what my faith was. And that's when purity culture was really like coming to the forefront, you know, kiss dating, goodbye, dateable, don't date naked. Like I was just obsessed with these books. Like how do I, which be by the, the way, best? who does date naked? <laughs> do you know this book? <laughs> no, you know I've never even heard of it. I'm okay. just like, who, who invented that title? Cause who the hell dates naked? Listen, it's about putting on the armor of God oh, while my, dating. Okay. Tim. Of, course, of course it is. Of course it is, course right? It is. So, and I grew up in the world of, of we called it the Canna culture, Canna cut camps, 
So like very like Pete Newman, I don't know if you know anything about him and that whole thing, yep. but like I We've grew up that. seeing Pete Newman speak like he was preaching in my church. Like, so it is like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's like the brand of Christian I grew up as Caniculture, Hillsong, but with a background in the Stuart Allen Clark bullshit as well, because I didn't get into that world until like middle school. Yeah. You and I have very similar past because I grew up in that non-denominational, like fundamentalist John MacArthur kind of world. Right. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, I, my, my earliest memories of church were um, a church that had a piano and only sang hymns. And yeah. then yeah, the when organ, I was, a, yeah. And then when I was yeah. 11, we got a new radical pastor who's like, Oh, maybe we can sing some modern praise choruses. And my dad, who's, who was a guitarist said, Oh, how about my son, me starts drumming because who's going to get mad at the 11 year old kid on the stage? So like <laughs> I started there and ended up in very much that like more hill song kind of vibe, mm -hmm. you know, church structure that wanted to be more hip and contemporary as a drummer. So I, I yeah. kind of get that shift. Now, a lot of your, at least personality online, if that's even a way of putting it, yeah. is seems very much around like unpacking and, and like dismantling purity culture, you know, yeah. and like kind of reclaiming yeah, yeah. sexuality. That's important. Yes. How yeah. do we go from bright-eyed Maddie Hillsong version, who's like, yay, greeter team, right? To, oh my God, my people are online in this deconstruction space. I'm reclaiming my sexuality. Here I go. Like, what's that journey like for you? When did the cracks start forming? Oh, dude. Yeah, it's so crazy because I have a, a line in my book about basically like how often I was in a small group. Like there was Wednesday morning my small group. There was, or there was Wednesday night small group. There was Friday morning small group. And then there was also me leading small groups. Like I was in it. I was like, um, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm reading Brenda Davies book right now, Prayerful Jezebel. What oh. is it? On, on her knees, a prayer for Jezebel. And, and she talks about how like, you know, her, her relationship with God really was like so pure and innocent and, and like, so like deeply steeped in love. Right. So like, I do actually think a lot of my faith, this is what was complicated is like, it was steeped in this like radical love of Christ, like mm -hmm. the ultimate sacrifice, right? Like how they pose it all. And so I do think like a lot of, I did a lot of I don't know. I like to think I did a lot of good with my faith in high school, but also probably some damage because I was really preaching purity culture and encouraging girls to like wear purity rings and save themselves. But I also like stood up to our abs because we had abstinence only education at school. We didn't even have sex ed. And this was a public school. So I went to public school to answer your question earlier. Um, I'm not sure if you did based on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy? That is so crazy. But like, yeah, abstinence only education. And I remember saying to the teacher, like, because we have pregnant girls in the class. And I remember being like, I don't think they should be here. This is kind of mean. Like, shouldn't we be giving them some sort of like parenting class instead? Like, this is just right. Right. shame all around. So I was like aware of things like that. I yeah. grew up with, you know, I talk about this too. Like at my father's faith, I think what sets him apart from a lot of other like pastoral dads is that his faith was always founded on like empathy and compassion. And so that's what he drilled into us. So anyways, I had that, but I also was so mulled over with the purity culture stuff. And I fully thought like, as most, I think evangelical women do that I would marry my college sweetheart. So I was in this long-term relationship in college. You know, I was, I was like, Oh, my first real boyfriend, I'm going to marry him obviously. And so everything, you know, in college, it was like, I, I'm going to marry him, whatever. And then 
we didn't get married. And that was really like, you know, when you say, where, what are the cracks? I would say that was like the, the catalyst for like really setting it off. Me questioning, like, do my Christian pastors really have it all together? Much like a lot of other deconstructors started when I started meeting and having friendships with people in the LGBTQ community. Like I'm a theater kid. I went to theater camp. I met some gay kids. I met some Jewish kids. And I was like, are they really all going to hell? These are like my <laughs> weirdo compadres, you know, right, like, and right. it was the first time I felt like at home, truly in a community, because even though I felt at home in my church community, I always felt like I was supposed to be smaller, talk quieter, you know? So like being in the theater world, it was like, that's when I felt real freedom. And so then when I, like, that was kind of the first thing. And then in college, I, I majored in theater. So it sort of like sped that up. And then also I was in a mission group and we were supposed to be like, you know, converting the Muslims. And instead of converting the Muslims, I was kind of like, I feel like we have a lot in common with the Muslims. Like I just couldn't wrap my mind around a lot of these things they were telling me were absolute truth. So the cracks were starting. But then when my boyfriend and I almost said his name broke up, that's when my dream of like moving to New York and becoming an actor really was like, oh, that's not going to be squelched by this like godly path of getting married. Now I'm just like fully on the path to becoming an actor and moving to New York City. And once that became real, then it was like, yeah, I'll try to do bullet points. I know I'm in, I'm not a succinct person. I'm really working on it. Well, that's how many podcasts though for long term. Yeah. People, people who listen to this show, they tell me they like longer episodes. And I'm like, are you crazy? But okay, so take your time because okay, this, is why we're, this is why we're here and not on Instagram live. That's true. That's true. Um, so then once I realized it, it was sort of just like, you know, continued cracks by living, right? I, I describe it as being just like constantly accosted by the lies I was told just by existing in New York City. These lies that were served as absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And one of them being, you know, one of I, I moving to New York and becoming an actor, that is going to put so many other things on my list of priorities that will probably exclude marriage. And if I don't get married as an evangelical woman in my early 20s, how do I stay a Christian? Because if I don't get married, does that mean I can't have sex? Yeah, that is what that means within the church. But I don't, how long, how long is too long before it's just weird? Like that you don't, that you're just like, you yeah. know, and I, and I don't say that to insult people who like choose to abstain. I think it's a totally fair choice, but like I, for me right. and my libido, right. I was like, this is going to become an obsession if I don't get it in. And like, that's going to take it, take over me more than, than just having the sex, you know? Yeah. And so, and then I was, and then it made me realize, you know, from that, oh my God, there is no path for evangelical women other than getting married as soon as possible. ASAP. That is the only way to stay in good standing with the Lord, because that is the only way that you can remain pure. Mm. And those two things are like, you, they can't be disconnected, right? Mm. They're intertwined, purity, relationship with God. So then I was like, okay, so then it spiraled me into going into scripture and like really, really like some people it's like they have all the sex first, but they're still trying to hold on to their faith. For me, I did have sex, 
But then I went a long time without having sex where I was just like tearing apart scripture mm-hmm. and, and got really into like, I don't know if you know, like Bert Ehrman's work. Yeah. Oh, Bart, Bart, sorry. Bart Ehrman's no, work. Yeah. yeah I have Bart like Ehrman's his great. textbooks. Yeah. And Reza Aslan's book, mm-hmm. Zealot, you know, like all of these texts and I'm like, there are people out here in these streets <laughs> who have dedicated their entire lives to studying scripture and the history and the accuracy and the inerrancy and all of that, right? And we just dismiss them because they're not reading it devotionally and they're not seeing it as the word of Christ and yep. I are the word of the Lord, you know, and God breathed. And I was like, scripture is not God breathed mm. like at all. In my book, I call it, if anything, it's God barfed because mm. it's incredibly unclear mm. and it doesn't make it wrong. I know you talk a lot about that on, on your show. It doesn't make it like not valuable, but it certainly doesn't. It's not what I was taught. Right. And so that gave me some freedom to be like, well, these standards of purity culture of adhering to this shit are not true. They're not godly. Being married is not the only path. Being a Christian is not the only way to heaven. And ultimately, like I remember the moment where I just was looking out over Broadway onto the Hudson. And I was like, I don't think Jesus is who they told me he was. Mm. And that, that realization, whether I wanted it to or not, was going to change my entire life. And so once I was like, well, maybe I'm not even a Christian. Cause I don't think I believe Jesus is the savior of the Lord, God incarnate mm. and or savior of the world. Did I say Lord anyway? And so it was kind of like, just so, so many things. But then it was like, even though I had done a lot of that pulling apart, I still didn't know how to conduct myself sexually because I didn't have like a playbook, right? There was the only, the only way to have right, right sex in my world was as a married couple. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm out here doing, but all I know is I've got some time to make up for because I feel like my pubescent years were robbed from me Mm. by like trying to hold on to this. And I just ended up having like a lot of sex that I was dissociated for. I don't remember. I know I was there. I know I was choosing to be there, but I don't remember it. So I was not having good sex for a long time. But then I would also have sex with guys who were like absolutely horrible to me Mm. and mistreated me and disrespectful because they were like this personification of all of my insecurities and sort of like self-loathing and I kept them around only because it would keep my number low. Sure. You know, yeah. like, let me have like a repeat offense at least once, <laughs> right. you know? Like, right. And, and I, I saw like how that, like that idea of sleeping with someone consistently who treats you bad is, is more important to keep your number low than like sleeping with, a bunch of different guys that it might actually be better sexual experiences, Mm. you know? So I was kind of doing both. And then it wasn't until like 2015, 2016 that, I mean, and there's a lot in there we could unpack, but I'll try to skip 2015, 2016, where I say like, I started to come out of my fucking fog and I, I, I realized I went into like this, this cave of bibliotherapy. Like I was reading all the self-help books. I was, and I was coming to the, like, I remember I read this book, The Untethered Soul, and it basically proposed that our lives are a result of our thoughts and our beliefs. So then for the first time, I was seeing life as something I actually had a say in 
versus just a system of reward and punishment. Mm. Like, cause what I thought is that, oh, I don't have a boyfriend. I'm not having success because God's punishing me for having sex. Mm. And I'm not having success in auditioning and booking and all of that because God is punishing me for not being a Christian. Mm. Like everything in my life was just punishment from God for not living in alignment. That was a subconscious belief. I didn't know I believed that, but I definitely did. And so this was the first time I was sort of like grabbing these thoughts, being aware of them, and then doing the, you know, repaving your neurological pathways to believe something different. Mm. And then as a result, my life got a lot better and it's continued to be that. But yeah, I, then once I started doing that work of like, what are my beliefs? How can I reframe this? And then how can I like actionably take steps towards achieving the life that I want? That set me on a whole other path of, oh my God, I've been having like horrible sexual experiences and I don't want to have those experiences anymore. What do I need to do to, I call it like, you know, lay out my blueprint for boning, which is really just forming your own sexual ethic, right? And depending on your sexual orientation, maybe you're not boning and that's fine too. But then I realized, oh, then if I'm going to like pave my own sexual ethic, I need to probably be like alert and aware for it. And then that made me realize, oh my God, I've been dissociating and all of this stuff. And then I learned about trauma and religious trauma. And then the 2016 election happened. Oh my gosh, it could just keep going, right? Like, but that's how I, that's not even the spark notes, but the podcast spark notes of how I got to a place where, oh my gosh, this takes way more work than just like, there's deconstructing faith and then there's deconstructing purity culture. Mm. And it wasn't until I got into sexual trauma therapy after I had been sexually assaulted in 2016, two days after Donald Trump was elected, which is a huge part of my story. And I have a a good amount of blog posts about that, that I realized the extent to which purity culture was just like infiltrating my life and my actions. And I just kept thinking like, if this is affecting me to this extent, and I've done all this other work before, like, cause I moved to New York in 2013 and then, you know, and then fast forward to 2016 and all that stuff I just described was going on before I even got to sexual trauma therapy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like what people need help. Mm. And so, yeah, that's when I, I just was like really passionate about helping women, particularly because that's what I am form a sexual ethic through this and not just a sexual ethic, but like learn who they are, which is part of forming a sexual ethic within this confusing state of deconstructing faith and sexuality while also trying to date. And it's just super difficult. Yeah, for sure. Friends, it's no secret that deconstruction can lead you wondering what now after the dust settles. How do I make sense of God? Where do my ethics come from? What is God like? Well, I'm happy to tell you that my friends and brilliant scholars, Tom Ord and Trip Fuller, are tackling those questions at the God After Deconstruction event, February 9th through 10th at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Join me as we hear not only from them, but from other leading voices like Alexis Lilly and Catherine Keller as we dream of a better way forward in our faith and discover a God who is more loving than we could ever imagine. Tickets are on sale now, and you can get them via the link in the show notes. That's February 9th through the 10th at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Grab a ticket and let's hang out. I'll see you there. 
Okay, so a couple of follow-ups. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, Would you say, that's okay. I mean, there's uh, every person has a universe inside of them, right? So it takes time to unpack mm-hmm. part of that journey. Would you say that as far as like your faith journey, are, are you pretty much, you know, the way I describe it is like people kind of get above ground out of the basement of fundamentalism and go, okay, there's a huge house here. And some people say, mm-hmm. I'm out. Like, give me the front door. I want out of here. I'm going to explore the rooms. Some people go out, come back in. Some stay in the house. So right now in this moment in 2023, you know, in November, where do you see Mm -hmm. yourself? Like, are you like, hey, like I'm still interested in, you know what? I don't really think about Christianity anymore. I'm just kind of completely outside of that house. Where are you with that? I think I'd say like, I mean, I think about Christianity a lot because I'm like all over the algorithm. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of being a participant, no, I have no interest anymore. Sure. And, And I, you know, in some ways, I I miss the faith that I used to have, but it's like I can't, I don't feel I can ever truly return to that connected to Christianity. Yeah. Like I feel a connection with the divine for sure, but like I don't see the point in organized religion. Mm. Like I just am like, I, I love what people like you guys are doing where you're trying to like speak out and give people uh, who do want to continue practicing their faith, a space to do that. Right. I think that's amazing. But for me, like, it's not important to me because I'm like, if you erase hell, what is the point? Why mm. do I have to believe sure. in Jesus? You know, I can look at how he lived his life and I can learn a lot from scripture and whatever. But, you know, another thing that I feel like I was so afraid of is where will my moral compass come from if, I, if I'm if i not a Christian? Right. It's like, actually, I have a pretty freaking strong moral compass without Christianity. So those are also lies that I had to unpack, like, because you learn not to trust yourself, right? I'm like, yes, because, yeah, I don't believe in a lot of the pillars of Christianity, theologically speaking, like the concept of original sin. I like I get into that with my dad. He and I see eye to eye on a lot now, but theologically speaking, I'm like, you really believe that like a little bitty baby is born bad? Mm. Like, I don't believe that. And I don't believe that we need saving. And I don't, you know, and so that's why I can't call myself a Christian. No, that's totally fair. (laughs) I'm wondering for you, and I think this gets complicated and everyone has a different answer to this. So this is not a trick Mm -hmm. question. Do you think that what you've built your current, let's just say like moral foundation on has some foundation from how you kind of grew up. Like meaning I thought, I thought a lot about this where I'm like, okay, I mean, the audience knows I tell people that I had a pretty positive church Christian experience overall. Like, like let's face it, the system is built for guys like me. Like I'm, I'm designed to be like the most benefited by it. And it wasn't yeah. until my last, <laughs> so I get that. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until my last church that I had what I would call an adverse religious experience. I wouldn't call it abuse. I wasn't abused, but it definitely was an unhealthy transition out that kind of forced me out. It really hurt, yada, yada, yada. But yes, while I am still a Christian, my theology, to your point, is so different. Like I agree with you. I don't think that people are born inherently bad. I think that's just mm-hmm. really bad theology, right? But mm-hmm. a lot of how I'm thinking about how I move forward, and I have a lot of friends who maybe wouldn't call themselves Christians anymore either, but would still tell me, well, a lot of my ethics are kind of just evolving from some of the core beliefs that I've gotten as a kid. And some of that, that, that sexual, even the sexual ethics side of like, okay, purity culture is not for me, but, you know, respect, consent, you know, like those elements are. And I was taught in my church, like we want to love one another. So like, they, they can draw back to that. For you, have you just said, you know, that whole system is so fucked that I want nothing to do with it. I'm rebuilding from 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 the ground up. Or do you see some of those elements from your past still kind of influencing your present? 
is such a great question. And I've never been asked that before. And I'm so glad that you did ask it. I, I do think that a lot of my foundation and, you know, maybe this doesn't get enough airtime. This is like bringing that to my attention that I need to talk about all the ways that Christianity did influence me for the good, for the better. Mm. Right. Because like I said, my, my father's and my mom's like foundation of their faith was always empathy and compassion. Right. And service. And like, I really do believe because I've watched them live it out. They believe in an all loving God of like everybody. Right. And it's because of that. And I know you've probably seen this as well um, in other deconstructed uh, accounts and whatnot. It's because of that, that I deconstructed. Because I was like, we've got the God of the universe. He created the freaking galaxies and he loves us all. But the path to his love is so narrow. Totally. Like you can only be straight. You can only be like a quiet woman. They were so obsessed with how loud women were. Like, I was just like, what is the, what the fuck is the deal with like Jesus in the volume of my voice? You know, <laughs> you're not a good so submissive wife, Maddie. Come on. Doing. <laughs> yeah. A quiet and gentle spirit, yeah. you know, like, yeah, and yeah. I cared, I cared about being pretty, but you weren't supposed to care too much. You know, right, it's like, right. And I get like that, that stuff seeps into, you know, secular culture. It's not just, you know, church, but it was just worse in church because it was attached to like your ability to go to heaven or not mm-hmm. and to live a horrible life on earth or a life full of blessings. So anyways, that's a tangent. Yeah. I would say that I definitely think that because of like this belief that there is something beyond us that I cannot explain, which is another reason why I don't believe in organized religion, because I think it's just an effort to explain the unknown. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. But I do believe that it's good Mm. and that it wants good for us. And that if, and I do believe in a creator and I, and because I believe in a creator because I look at earth and the galaxies and people person to person, they're all so different and vibrant. I mean, especially living in New York city, right? You just walk out your door and you see the colors of God everywhere. And I'm like, why would he create all, or he, they, she, you know, why would they create all of this so, so beautifully different in order for us all to just like siphon ourselves into homogeny? Like, I can't buy into that. And so, and that's basically what I felt like evangelicalism was doing compounded with Trumpism, right? And like racism and all of that. And so I do think that there's that. And then there's the golden rule, right? If we were all just practicing golden rule sex, like it would, that's mutuality, that's consent, you know? But so I think it can get a lot more like simple. And then also like, I talk about this, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Mark Schreim. He's also an author and he has a book called um, Solving for Why. And he talks about like how, you know, churches and and people in general in, in America just want to throw their money at poverty, but they like can't really face actual pain yeah. and, and doing the work of where it needs to be done. And like, I, I, was confronted with that too. When moving to New York, it's like, I'm literally getting on, getting on the subway and I am stepping over a person on the subway stairs with a needle in their arm. And you want me to care about saving myself until marriage? Right. No, your priorities are out of whack because you don't see what I see every day. Yeah. I I have to agree. You know, I'm not far from you at all. I'm maybe an hour. And actually where I live, I can take the train from my doorstep to to Times Square, like to Penn Station, you know, so I'm not, yeah. it's, it's about maybe an hour and a half, but I can get there. 
And I'm with you. You know, it's like when you start seeing a the fact that people are diverse. I mean, I live in New Jersey, which is incredibly diverse. I think it's actually one of the Mm -hmm. most there's actually the most amount of different ethnicities and people groups represented in New Jersey than any other state. Like, There's just huge populations of all kinds of different folks. Right. Once you start realizing that and then to your point, when you start walking around in places where you see systemic poverty, whatever, and you think, wait, so the the highest ideal is that like, I'm not masturbating. Yeah. Like that's how I know I've arrived to be godly. It's not thinking about how we fix these systems that keep people yeah. in these cycles or how we look at even something that we don't think about every day, like the predatory loan and credit system that feeds off of the bottom of society. But the highest yeah. thing that God's concerned about is that I'm not jerking off. Like, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. okay, I, I guess I'll do that. And then to your point, right? I mean, yes, I will tell you that on, for me as a man, you know, mm-hmm. I literally had, I was taught that like temptation was my biggest enemy, right? So literally I'm a young adult. I'm like 18. I've constructed this Lord of the Rings golem in my head that I've labeled like masturbation. And then my goal was to defeat that enemy every day. And if I didn't masturbate that day, I did it. Like I beat yeah. the enemy. But if I did, then all of a sudden I felt guilty. And you know, it's, it's, it's this whole really mm-hmm. weird cycle of like, mm-hmm. you've concocted this like very normal biological function into this like huge thing that like God is this close to you watching, like, don't you dare. And it becomes like, yeah. to your point, all consuming, right? Where you're just thinking about it all day not to do something. And Again, I want to I want to reemphasize. I agree with you. Like when you start getting beyond the bubble of especially mm-hmm. white evangelicalism, and this can happen anywhere, but in our, our case, it's really more white evangelicalism. And you start realizing that like the world's really freaking big, and that yeah, there are, there's other issues out there that are really key. And your church is focused on what you're doing in your bedroom, mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. well, poor people kind of deserve it. They they just have to work harder. You're like, wait, what? Yes, that doesn't make sense ultimately. So I get that. I'm with you. And to your point about like the all consuming, right? Like a big part of my deconstructing and being like, fuck the church, man, was like at every turn, I was like, oh, that's a system of control. Oh, that's a system of control. That's a system of control. Everything was about control. Everything was about fear. Nothing was about love. Mm. It was all masked in love, Mm. but it was all fear-based. My entire faith, I feel like, like, you know, like it started so beautifully and then got interrupted very quickly because, you know, there are tears, you know, you're a baby Christian and then you're like a real Christian yeah, totally. and and then you have to like adhere to all the rules. Right. It's like right. unconditional until it's not. Right. Um, yeah, right, right. It's freedom and, until it's actually not freedom. <laughs> yeah. And so to your point, if they can keep you obsessed with not masturbating and that's your entire mental capacity is just like full of like don't touch my penis then you don't even have the perspective to think about bigger issues right they are keeping you in a mental prison similarly to how like a lot of women feel i think about like their bodies and staying small it's like if they if they can just keep us obsessed with that shit, we don't have the energy or time or capacity to think about anything bigger or beyond. Mm. And I think it's like, you know, 
I was just journaling about this this morning about, you know, oh, why you were I'm journaling. So Did you have your Bible and cup of coffee and take a picture for Instagram? Like meeting God's Close. presence this morning. <laughs> a little worship Close. music for the post, you know, <laughs> my boyfriend like wagged his wiener in my face, went to the gym. And then I read Brenda Davies memoir. That's how that went. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, this is a Devo. This is what I've always wanted. You've done it. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do still journal every morning. <laughs> and I was journaling about how I'm so grateful that I stayed single through my 20s and into my 30s because another way that I just, I strongly believe the evangelical church manipulates and, and enacts control is young marriage, right? Like, if they can get you into a bond that is supposed to be forever and there's so much pressure put on it before you even know who you are, the ability to even figure out who you are is going to get so much harder. Yeah. And that's what they don't want. They don't want you to think for yourself. They don't want you to know who you are. So if they can just, you know, and then you get into a situation where it's, it's leading to divorce. We're seeing this a lot. Right. And it's like, then you've got shame and everything else. And it just gets harder and harder to get to like, who am I? What do I really want? And yeah, so I was just thinking about that this morning of just like social control and, and how that was just a big part of my deconstruction is realizing the privilege of the freedom I had just by not being in Missouri anymore, because that's where I moved from and right. being in New York, where like, I say, no one gives a fuck what I was doing, who I was fucking, if I was saying fuck, like no one cared. And so that when no one's watching, it's like, who are you when no one's watching? It's like, I got to figure it out. You right. Know? So let's, yeah. let's talk about like, sexual ethics for a minute, right? And like what it let's means to it. like, Love figure it. that out. Because I, I will give you my perspective completely. Let's hear it. Honestly, okay. <laughs> Me and my partner, we talk about this often. It's kind of like our mental exercise. And we're like, you know, if for if for if for whatever reason either of us were dating again, I'd be like, I I don't know how I would have sex with someone else. Because my partner was my first. Mm. We've never had to use like a condom or anything like that. And I'm like, the idea of being in a room with someone else and trying to figure out like, is this okay? Do you like this? Am I asking too many questions? Also, how do I make this thing work? Like, I don't know if this yeah. is good for you or not. Like, that is just a weird vibe for me. Now, I also, I play music professionally, okay? I play in a cover mm -hmm. band every weekend mm -hmm. and I play in clubs. I play in, in Atlantic City. I play in New York City sometimes. And I mm -hmm. see, I'll have to come see you. You have to come see me. I <laughs> yes. see people who meet on the dance floor are making out and then go up to someone's room. And I'm like, how do you get there? Like I could never, I, 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 you know, the stereotype is that like the guys are always looking like to bang someone. That's not me at all. Yeah. Like it, it intimidates yeah. the hell out of me. Right. But at the yeah. same time, like I do still see sex. In some form as like it, I think there is something mysterious about it. I think it is more than just a physical experience, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. I okay. don't think purity culture is the answer. Frankly, mm -hmm. though, if I'm being straight up with you, I'm, I don't think that like the hookup culture of 2023 in America is like the wisest no. situation, especially mm -hmm. given like the, I'll just say from my experience, the amount of greasy ass men I see in these clubs who I'm like, I, 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 I would never trust that person like to go home yeah. with me ever. Right. So like mm -hmm. for you as someone who kind of came into the sexual purity world, came out of it and was like, I'm just going to, you know, try things and find out how, how around and find there out. There you go. You're going to fuck around and find <laughs> <Quite> out. Literally. <laughs> how, 
have you navigated what it means for you to have a sexual ethic that honors who you are as a human and your self-worth, honors the person that you're potentially sleeping with, and also Mm -hmm. is not, you know, to you maybe still like a healthy boundary there? What has that been like for you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, So many, so many thoughts. So first of all, I want to say that sleeping with someone for the first time is, is awkward. Like it just is. And I would say that people just need to get more comfortable with it being awkward. Like it's awkward if you're married and it's, and you've known them for forever. It's awkward if it's a first date and you go home with them. Like it's just awkward. It's vulnerable. You're being, you're naked together. You're doing something. And I just think people are so uncomfortable with uncomfortable feelings, which I think is just like a, a, an American cultural thing anyway. Like we're all so afraid of our feelings because it's disruptive to capitalism. So like they're there, if something doesn't feed the money machine in America, it's, it's immediately unimportant. So if I'm having a big feeling to use like a gentle parenting word, cause I work with kids that is disruptive, right? It, it's like, Oh, now things have to stop, whatever. And I'm an actor, so I've learned how to get really comfortable with my feelings and 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 like let them pass because they're gonna pass, right? Like you're, it's gonna be awkward for a little bit. You're gonna get through it. You're not gonna die from embarrassment or whatever. Or if you know, ugh, this feels so awkward. This feels okay. That's like that's information for you. Okay, how do I not feel awkward? How do I not feel embarrassed when I have sex for the first time? Is it a matter of my partner? Is it a matter of my ideas around sex, my beliefs around sex? Maybe it's a combination of all of those things. It takes work. It takes like huge awareness. And I joke about this, but it's like, I call it, you got to go from like dating to marry to dating for data or data, whatever. Mm. And not that you want to be like, you know, meticulously taking notes every time he's like switching positions or whatever, but you do need to be aware and be able to, I I have a line in my book. That's like, you can't fuck away the shame, but you can trial and error and observe away the shame. Like you can come out of a, of a sexual experience and go, what did I like? What did I, what didn't I like? What do I want to do differently next time? What Mm. could, what qualities can I look for in a person that make me feel safe? Cause safety is what ultimately makes a a quality sexual experience and well, safety and other things. But yeah, for me, it was a lot of that. It was like, first of all, those people that you're seeing meet on the dance floor and going home together, they're using alcohol. And I think that is something that is something that is not talked about enough. I ha- I'm sorry, I have to interrupt. I totally agree with you. I'm yeah. like, alcohol in this environment is so mm-hmm. freaking dangerous. I have seen things on the dance floor that a girl has allowed that I'm like, I there's no way if she was sober, she'd be cool with this. Like just no. flat out, not cool with it. But she's drunk. Yeah. And it's like, ah, this just seems so unethical, period. Like forget the purity culture, forget the Christian ethics that I might or might not have. As a human, this just seems so unethical to get someone so drunk that they'll allow you to literally feel them up in front of everyone on a dance floor because they're so out of it that they don't know what's yeah. going on. That just feels so icky to me. It is icky. It's 100% icky, but it's normalized, right? Yeah. And just because something is normalized doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. And I, 
I understand alcohol to like get loosey goosey, but I got to a place in, in my journey where it was just like a non-negotiable. I am never drunk for sex. Yeah. If I'm even a little bit tipsy, it's not happening Mm -hmm. because I want to know that when I do that with someone, I am fully present and that it is truly my choice. I am one of my top qualities in life is autonomy. Mm. And I want to know that that is my choice, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't coerced into it, that I didn't do it because of a lapse in judgment or whatever, like, nope, fully aware, you know? And so I do think like, and and this is super, super common. And I, I think it's, you know, an important pendulum, you know, to like go from purity culture to being drunk for sex. I get that. But like, eventually, if you want to have quality engagement, you're going to have to stop using alcohol as a crutch. And, and the reason you're seeing this, like what you're observing, right, where it's such extremes is because at the end of the day, our American culture is purity culture. Mm. So no one really knows what the fuck they're doing, because everyone's so ashamed of their sexuality, even if they don't think they're ashamed of their sexuality. We don't live in a culture like what I've experienced in like on with with foreign men before my current partner i only dated foreign guys and they were all so much less weird about sex like it was just you know you can hook up with a guy in america and the next morning they're it's like they're so embarrassed and it's like they can't wait to get you out of their apartment and hopefully their roommates don't see and then you feel ashamed even though it's like why why do i feel ashamed like he was there too why is he subtly shaming me for this you know Whereas like you can go fuck a guy in the UK and the next morning he's like, let's go get brekkie. Like, it's just like, oh, you, you did a thing that humans do, you know? Sorry, I'm getting a little tangential, but I think that like that using alcohol, using hookup culture, not having a good sexual ethic comes from the fact that people don't, aren't actually ashamed of their sexuality and they don't have a roadmap to develop like intentional sexual encounters. So what I got to is, like I said, I stopped using alcohol. I started being fully aware. I started another concept that came up in my process was the idea of sleeping with someone too soon. I have a blog post about this. It's like this famous conversation between my brother and I, where I'm like, well, I'm just sick of this happening. I'm trying to be like sexually empowered and have good sexual experiences. And these guys just stop being interested in me the second I have sex with them. Mm. And he goes, Maddie, they didn't stop being interested because you had sex with them. They weren't interested to begin with. Mm. And I was like, okay, first of all, fuck off. Second of all, <laughs> right. rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also maybe you're right. <laughs> and he goes, maybe these guys, he goes, a guy who's genuinely interested in you is not going to bail after you have sex. And a guy who is not genuinely interested in you is going to bail whether you have sex or not. So what's happening is you're just having sex with guys before you are gauging their genuine interest in you. And I was in their intention, like, do they want to keep dating you? You know, and he's like, and if you are looking for a boyfriend, if you're looking for a partner, then you're going to maybe have to take a little bit more time to gauge their genuine interest. So that's where I think that like that fear of purity culture comes in with someone who's deconstructing. They're like, don't tell me to take time. Ah, fuck what I don't want, you know, which is true. You should, but it depends on your end goal. Like, is your end goal to just sleep with this guy and never see him again? Cool. But if it's not, like, okay, maybe you need to take a little bit more time and that's okay. And what ended up happening for me when I took a little bit more time is in fact, he was right. 
if I went on two to three dates with a guy and didn't want to sleep with him, like that guy usually just like stopped texting me. And I was like, oh, so like I wasn't interested in him and he wasn't interested in me. Glad we took time to figure that out before we had sex. The My current partner, he and I waited like two months, which is actually quite long. But I was I was not worried about it because I had had enough experiences where I was like, I can tell this is going to go okay. That being said, I do think waiting too long if you're genuinely interested in a person is not a great thing because sexual compatibility is important. Even if it's awkward the first time, there's a difference between something being awkward and then something just not working. And I do think that you need to find that out pretty quickly if it's going to be part of like your partnership. And by pretty quickly, I mean like, I don't know. I don't want to give an arbitrary timeline, but I would say like, no longer than three months. That feels like a lot. I mean, this is New York standards too. So right. the sun is a little uh, bit different. <laughs> yeah. Things move a little bit more quickly. Do. We don't like our time to be wasted. Yeah, but totally. I will say another thing that's really important in this sexual ethic thing is like, yes, be aware, be present, collect data, you know, record your experiences. What did you like? What did you not like? Take time to get to know the person that you're going to sleep with. Make sure you feel safe. What does it feel like to feel safe? What does it feel like to speak up for yourself? What ideas do you have about speaking up for yourself? Because I have a blog about that too, where I realized like I was just always caretaking the guy's emotions. I was so afraid to hurt his feelings that I like wasn't speaking up for myself or like even not even just sexually, but like I'm not interested in going on a second or third date with you. And I couldn't bring myself to say that because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. And then also there's the very real fact that a lot of people are not talking about, which is that our culture doesn't really raise men who are good lovers. So you need to start collecting data on what makes a good lover. Is he attentive to you? Does he know how to eat pussy if you like that? You know, like getting really brass tacks on stuff like Mm. that. If he doesn't, how can you speak up for yourself if this if this is a relationship that's important to you is it important enough to work on this aspect you know what is what is his energy because a big part of evangelical purity culture is disconnecting from yourself so like i had to learn what makes a good lover once i had already done all the work within myself because there's still another person involved i know that's like a very is that clear or totally muddy <laughs> i think you're pretty freaking clear <laughs> I think my audience probably has their jaw dropped. Like, did she just really say that? Yes. Yes, she did. And it's okay, friends. You're going to be okay. Uh, Don't worry. I'm going to give a preface to the intro. This is a very adult conversation where we use normal (laughs) language and we're all adults. So don't put this in front of your kids and that's totally okay. But to your point, I agree with you. Now, listen, I want to be clear. I am a man. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I am never going to claim to know the experience of women. But I will tell you that about 70% of our followers on Instagram, at least, are women. And whenever we talk about purity culture and sex, I hear themes that consistently come up, right? And one of them is, you know, a woman being satisfied, just like how a man would be. Let's put it that way, right? And Sheila Gregor has done actual... The orgasm gap, you can say it. As I was going to (laughs) say, Sheila Gregor calls it the orgasm gap, right? And how, like, statistically, there's just a big gap there. And I... I don't know. I don't want to give TMI, but to me, that's always been a bizarre thing for me. I'll just put it that way. Me and my partner have a lot of open communication about this. And like, she will tell you, I'm always like, was that good for you? And now that being said, Mm -hmm. I don't know how a guy could not think that way, but apparently a lot of them do. And I do think to be fair, (laughs) and I'm really audience. I'm really speculating here. I can't believe we're we're talking about this, but whatever, it's the podcast. We do whatever we want. Let's just keep going. 
but to be, I think that there is a role that we, we have to talk about, about porn. Porn's a big player. And I think, again, we have like, I'm looking at like two spectrums that I've seen, right? There's the purity culture. Porn will essentially just rot your brain out and you'll become a big ball of mush and you're going to become a sexual predator if you keep looking at it. And then there's this other side of like- Which is a self-fulfilling prophecy, by the way, which I will touch on. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. And then there's this (laughs) other side we can say of just like, Oh, like all porn's fine. Like no problems. Don't look at how, di- you know, damaging the industry can be to people, period. And like how it runs like garbage so, so many times and how it's not really that regulated, right? Just don't look at that. It's yeah. totally fine. And so I think that in my concern as a parent, I have two boys under three and I'm like, well, the, mm-hmm. this, the stat is that the average, I, I think it's boy. I'm not sure if it's girl too, but I, I know for a fact, at least if they're boys, the average age that they're exposed to porn is like nine years old. Okay. And and that could yeah. be not intentional. They could just be on the internet. And as someone who used to work for Apple, I've seen a lot of parents mm-hmm. who do not know how to use restrictions on their kids' devices, right? So mm-hmm. little Bobby is on the internet, types in the wrong thing. He comes across like very adult pornography. I yeah. don't care what anyone says. That is freaking unhealthy, period, right? Like kids, yeah. especially when you're a teenager and even a young adult because your brain's still forming, if you're getting what sex looks like, from different types of porn, right? Especially more aggressive kinds, more maybe kinds that for consenting adults, they both want to engage in. But when you're 15, you can't mm-hmm. tell the difference, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a big play in that as well, where again, I'm talking from the man side, I can't speak on behalf of women, but at least as a man, I think that can really shape how you view your, your partner when you're having sex and what they're there to do and also how their body's supposed to always work. Like all you got to do is, you know, a couple yeah. things here and all of a sudden you're ready to roll and that's it. And, and she's screaming the whole time. And it's like, that's just mm-hmm. not how it, it works for everyone. Everyone's different. Right. So I do think that screaming all the time, I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it works for everyone, but at least in my experience, it's, that's not usually the situation. So yeah. that being said, like, I do think that, that we have to address like how porn shapes how at least men in particular in this conversation view their role and then also what would please a woman. And then they kind of just map that onto everyone. And then we have a lot of women who are like, I'm very unsatisfied (laughs) based on this. Does that make sense? Yes, it totally makes sense. And yeah, I, so first I want to, first of all, I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think the whole porn will ruin you, but like, Actually, what's ruining men in evangelical churches who end up like, okay, I'll tell this quick story. I have a friend who's still very much in the evangelical world, you know, pastoral, missionary, like all of it. And she told me that one of the pastors from her church was caught. He's married, has kids, head pastor, was caught masturbating in his office to pornography. I don't care what industry you're in. That's fucking weird. Like that is erratic, irrational behavior. And like, if, if you are so consumed with sexual urge that you are jerking off in a church in your, in your workplace, your workplace, that is a church that is insane. Like that is crazy. And the church will blame porn for that instead of how they socialize men to think that their brains are their worst enemy mm-hmm. and all of the messages, you know, I don't have to go into it. Your audience knows, right? No, that's the problem, not the porn, but they'll blame it on the porn, which I think is a total out. 
And then they'll also blame it on like, you know, when a guy has an erection, he can just become like a mindless monster and it's okay because he's got a boat or what'd you expect, you know? And so that's fucking weird. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, see, you sinned, look what it led to. Right. And, and then the other thing is like the whole like porn being sort of a, like, it's okay, whatever, watch porn. Porn is fantasy. No one should be learning how to have sex from porn period. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it, and I see this all the time. And I recently had this conversation with my partner. I was like, how did your parents talk to you about sex? And he was like, they didn't. And I was like, yeah, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why? (laughs) (laughs) And, And I was like, well, you know, we had this conversation and it's like, well, because then dudes learn how to have sex from porn. And then again, you have women who are like wildly unsatisfied. It's like, Porn is not a teacher. Porn is a fantasy and you can and sh- can be enjoyed by adults. Adults. You should I don't think you should be watching porn before your brain is fully developed. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't. There's a reason why why can you rent a car or you can't rent a car until you're 25 but you have access to pornography when you're 9? Right. Like this should be controlled. And I think to your point like like it, it, what it does to people in the industry, whether they're consenting or not, you know, that's also something to consider. That being said, we watch movies and there's a lot of abuse there too, you know, like, so, sure. but I, I do think that there's something about cultures where they are just naturally, naturally more egalitarian. Like they are just, they just respect women more than America does that makes men better lovers. Like, and I think there's a fluidity that those cultures allow in their men, the feeling, the being in tune with their body, the being able to express their emotions through their bodies that is not taught in America. Men are incredibly rigid, white men. white. I mean, maybe black men too. I'm not saying like, this is maybe anecdotal and just based on my experience, but like, there's a rigidity to men, not a fluidity here because the fluidity is demonized, right? Because if you're even a little bit feminine, what are you gay or something? Right. You know, and then immediately you're bullied as a little boy. So that gets like knocked out of them. And I'm not saying like all good lovers are like women. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying there is a, there is a, a sensuality to them be- that that I don't think is cultivated. I think it's like bullied out of little boys and, and young men. And so, yeah, I think, do I think the role of like parents is to, you know, tell their, their sons how to perform cunnilingus? Like, no, or whatever, you know, like, but I do think you talk about consent, you talk about respect, you talk about mutuality. You talk about the fact that sex is not just physical. It is emotional because I think that's what hookup culture avoids and ignores is that there's any emotion involved in sex. And, and then you give them books. There are people who have written books about this, you know, you give them books to read. And then also it's going to be trial and error, you know, like, in in sex education, there's like when Otis is trying to like fool around with his girlfriend and he's really bad at fingering and then she just like tells him what she likes. Like that is part of being a human, hmm. you know, but we don't want to go through those things again because they're uncomfortable and we're so embarrassed about sex. Yeah. But I think it's just like rite of passage, you know? And yeah, I don't think, I don't know. I, I, I think that because the extremes just exist because of the shame. And we're all adhering to some element of shame. 
Hi friends, my name is Josh Scott. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Over the last several years, we've witnessed an alarming rise in hate, violence, bigotry, and nationalism here in the US. And it's all been fueled by and bound up with this distorted misunderstanding of the teachings of Jesus. These are critical days we're living in. This is literally an all hands on deck kind of moment. We must support the voices that are pushing back on these dehumanizing narratives and working instead for love, compassion, peace, and inclusion. That's why I'm so grateful for the work being done Project Amplify because they're doing just that. They are seeking to amplify voices and messages that resist these toxic and harmful narratives and offer a hopeful vision of our future in their place. If you think this work is important too, then we must join together and support it. Click the link below to contribute to this important cause now. I think that's a, a good like thing to think about, right? Like I do think yeah. that shame is at the heart of a lot of these things. And I think mm-hmm. that also stereotypes right of like this mm-hmm. this masculine male who feels no feelings and like yeah ever like he can't ever get emotional or cry especially in bed like he's just always ready to go and just you know it's like yeah i mean again like i've been married now for, well it's gonna be eight years in july and then mm-hmm. we've been together for 10 years now like as a yeah. couple and for sure i've had to undo a lot of that right from like i yeah. feel no emotion i'm just always ready to go like and also frankly man Maddie, this is a great conversation, but this is a deep one. Shit. I hope, I hope my audience isn't freaking the hell out. Like, oh my God, then this is too raw. Come on, guys. It's a new evangelicals. This is what we do. If we, if, if we talk about how the Bible's not inerrant, talking about oral sex is okay. We're going to be all right. But I remember when we first got married and I, I, I will just preface by saying, I know that this is, that this is, is an anomaly. My partner mm-hmm. and I had like no problem like having sex for the first time. Everything was great. Mm-hmm. She was happy. I was happy. That was how we started. So I know we're kind mm-hmm. of unique in that situation, but I just was kind of taught, whether it was blatantly or not, that as a man, I'm just always going to want sex like 24 seven. Like I'm just always going to be ready to go because yeah. I'm just a big horn dog. And like, that's what makes uh-huh. me a man is that at any point, if my wife's in the shower, how do I control myself? Because she's naked in the shower kind of vibe. I mean, I remember a pastor blatantly talking about that exact example on the stage. So, okay, obviously yes. we, waited, we, we, we waited to have sex. Well, we waited to have, you know, intercourse, we'll say, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, until we were married, right? And so, of course, in the beginning months, of course, we're having sex all the time. Like, it's great. We're both, we're both loving it. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you kind of settle into life. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, like, I'm not sure if I'm actually in the mood tonight, but my wife is more in the mood than I am. I'm like, oh my God, like, am I broken? Like, am, and I really thought to myself, am I falling out of love? Because like, I was just so convinced that not always being sexually like ready to go or in the mood yeah. was a sign of like how much I loved or felt love for this person. I mean, that, that that's just kind of what I was taught. Yeah. So in the beginning, I'm like, wait, but I'm the man here. I'm the one who always has to fight the battle. And I'm always, I'm just, I'm just one step away, you know? And so when that first started where we yeah. were falling into more of like a, a more like it was, you know, it was frequent, but it wasn't like every day. And then after that, you know, you have mm-hmm. kids on top of that. Wait till you have kids, people. I mean, that just changes, at least in the beginning in some of the rhythms, right? I mean, it's just true. Like, it's just true. My wife birthed yeah. out a child out of her canal. Like, out of her, like, like you know, like, it, yeah. it just, it's canal. I don't know what you call it. Yeah. I have vagina, I have yeah. cervix, whatever. You know, like, God, I'm going to get in so much trouble <laughs> for saying that. I'm not sure what, what, what the proper term is, but it, it, she birthed a child, right? And that takes yeah. time for her body to heal. And also she's breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, She's different in those moments to take care of a human. It's totally understandable, right? But your sex life changes yeah. there too. And then eventually it kind of bounces back. And 
if you're not, like I was never taught any of that. Here's what I was taught. When you get married, you're going to have the best sex of your life all the time, 24 seven. So just wait, just wait. And yeah, it's like, just wait, okay, just it's, wait. It'll it's be amazing. Like, guys, sometimes if we've had really mind-blowing firework level sex, other times we're both like, yeah, it was fine. We were both happy, but it wasn't yeah. anything special. And other times it's like, hey, I know that we have an infant, but it's been like, you know, two months. Like, how do we navigate this together? Because I don't want her mm-hmm. to feel pressured into anything. You know, I don't want her mm-hmm. to feel like I'm trying to guilt her in, in anything, but also I recognize that she has, you know, it's just different right now. Then how do we navigate that situation? And then how do we come back from that? So if you don't want how to communicate and how to be open and not shameful, right, about sex mm-hmm. and where you're at, where my partner's at, how you navigate those things, how you make room for those things, you're going to be in a lot of freaking trouble to navigate just the rhythms, especially of a long-term relationship. And I think that purity culture, yeah. my biggest the, the biggest damage done to me as a human wasn't so much about like, I mean, the shame was there, I think, to a degree, but it was more about the fact that I'm an uncontrollable, you know, like sex raving lunatic. That's number one. B, if I stop having those feelings or whatever those feelings are, something's wrong with me. And C, that your sex will ebb and flow throughout your relationship based on what's going on around you. And that's normal. Those are the three biggest things for me that I was just never prepared for that we had to navigate. That is so articulate and so much of what I have been experiencing in my own relationship, like in the last, so, so I would say Ken and I have been together a little over a year and Ken was not raised. You guys actually have a lot of similarities. He's from Jersey. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Does he call it pork roll or Taylor ham? I need to know. (laughs) Pork roll. That that's my (laughs) man. Give me that guy's number. I want him on the podcast next. My hat, oh my ma- gosh, the, I would love to have him on a podcast. The majority of my audience is like, Tim, what the hell is pork roll or Taylor ham? <laughs> Guys, it's a Jersey thing, okay? If you know what it is, we're friends. If you don't, just look it up. Okay, keep going. <laughs> no, that's exactly what he says. Every time they meet somebody from Jersey, they're like, what is it? What is it? What is it? <laughs> and, he was, and he was born into, like, I would say, a pretty, like, like you know casually religious family not like anything like i was raised and very italian like staten island moved to new jersey like it's so funny he thinks my parents have an accent i'm like have you heard your father speak (laughs) but anyway so where is it oh so he doesn't have the same hang-ups and weird things about sex like i'm i am so excited that i'm finally in like this partnership where I feel so loved and safe. Not to say that I haven't had that before. I've had like serious boyfriends before Ken, but he's like my person, you know? Mm. And, and I'm like, we live together. It's the first time I've lived with a partner. Mm. And like, you know, I'm so, I'm so attracted to him. I'm so excited. I'm just very excited. And like, I always want to fuck him. I'm like, there's never not a moment where I don't want to have sex with Ken. Meanwhile, Ken is like, I went through all of this in my, when I was a teenager. Right. Why are you like this? You know, right. he like can't, and he went through it at like a normal pace. And he is very much in our relationship and our dynamic, like the less sexual, like mm. easily. And that to us, like we've, we've had to navigate that because I was always taught like, oh, well, men just want to fuck all the time, you know? But that being said, Ken doesn't feel like his masculinity is at stake because right. of this. Like he doesn't, he's just like, you know, thing. and he, his, 
we're very different. I don't know if you've read Come As You Are, but there's like the accelerator and the brakes and our accelerators and brakes are different. Like when I'm anxious, I want to have sex because, and when I'm stressed, because I'm like, it's a stress reliever. He's the opposite. And most people are that way. But in gender roley terms, women are usually like, I can't have sex if the kitchen's not clean. I'm like, right. I want to have sex to not think about the kitchen, you know? Like, right. and so I'm right. very different. We're both very different in terms of like what we're supposed to want as a a straight male and a straight female in a sexual relationship. And we've had to navigate that. And that's so real of like, no, you know, cause he, he's uh, just, he got laid off like this last month. We just moved into a new apartment. It's more, it's in a more expensive part of the city. Like we're going through a lot of new things and new, I don't know, challenges. And it's like, of course the first thing on his mind isn't like having sex, you know, but at the same time, we want to be intimate. So like, we can't really let more than a month go by. That's not really, then we're just roommates, you know? So navigating that and talking through that, but those are the nuances that like, we just weren't taught and you, you have to learn as you go. Another thing that's been really challenging for me is most of my sexual dynamics with the exception of like one serious boyfriend have been in dating situations Mm. where like, whether it's short-term dating or long-term dating. So the idea, right, is like, you're not living together. You might not even live in a close part of the city. So like, you know, the only time you get together is date night and then you plan to have sex afterwards, right? Like, and that's just not how a a partnership works. And if you don't plan, like you're not like, okay, Saturday at 11, we got to do this or we don't have any more time because we've got these plans on Saturday night. We've got this on Sunday. Like it's not going to happen. You have a window of opportunity and that's it. That's it. And so, but then that doesn't feel sexy. So then you have to figure out, well then like, and then me, the whole like first chunk of our relationship, I was going through, I had an injury that was really affecting me and I was dealing with all of this, like just body stuff that was messing up insides and like things weren't working properly. So that kept me from feeling sexy. There's just all of this stuff. And it's like, you're just as a woman, you're just supposed to want to like be desired. And as a man, you're supposed to desire and end of story. And if you're not, you're broken. And it's just like, it is so much more complicated, nuanced than that. And we just don't talk about it. And we don't know. Well, maybe that's kind of Maybe that's kind of the overlap between purity culture and porn is like they kind of present like these ideals that like just aren't realistic all the time, right? For like how things should work. Again, like mm-hmm. I can point to times for me and my my partner where I'm like, oh yeah, like that was really good, high intense sex. And I can see maybe some overlap between like, I don't know, like an adult film or something. Okay, I see that. But like that's yeah. not common or that's not like how it is every time. Yeah. And and, and simply in purity time. culture where it's like, okay, I was taught it was gonna be 24-7, just like a buffet. But that's not realistic at all either. But again, there are, I'm going to use a real trigger word. There are seasons, right? Of, of our sex life <laughs> where it's like, it is more consistent, right? It's like, oh, we're both just feeling it these, these past few days, right? Yeah. And I will tell you as someone yeah. who has two kids under three, that throws a different kind of wrench in things where it's like, you know, I tend to be someone who's like, Hey, I like the more spontaneous, you know, my partner's like, same. I wish I can tell you I like spontaneous, but I'm thinking about picking up the kids from school and then getting one in bed. And like, I Mm -hmm. can't just be spontaneous because that's just not how it works, you know? And so again, like if you don't know how to communicate and make room for each other and figure out how to make that happen, it's not going to work out well. And I just don't think Mm -hmm. that either of these systems, and again, we're speaking broadly, folks, like I understand there's always nuance, there's always exceptions to these rules. 
But broadly mm-hmm. speaking, I feel like either of these extremes don't really make room for like a lived out, I would say at least long-term partnership with someone beyond yeah. like a few months where you're kind of in the rhythm and you're right. Body stuff comes up, you know, whatever. Things come up that can impact your sex life, right? And if you're not adaptable yeah. and flexible and willing to communicate with your partner about that, it's only a matter of time before you start building up resentment for things that neither of you really had control over or that you weren't prepared to talk about. And so yeah. I, I totally agree. Like that communication piece is so key. And also just realizing that like there's there's rhythms to this. You know, there are yeah. months where it's it's might be this, months where it might be that. And that's okay. That's totally freaking yeah. normal. Yeah, I think one thing that I realized in certain sort of the, you know, because the evangelical church is obsessed with gender norms. Totally. And one, one way that it like has been really harmful to me and, and like my view of men is, and probably the view of themselves is it almost speaks about men as if they are like predators, like constantly. Right. So it almost like teaches us to be afraid of men, but also to put them on a pedestal. Like, I want to be chosen by you because it means everything to be chosen by a man. And like in my world, like man and God were conflated. A godly guy might as well have just been God. It like the the approval of both meant hmm. we're equal. Hmm. But then I'm also terrified of you because they, you guys are spoken about in predatory terms. Like if your penis is erect, you can't control yourself, right? You right. want sex all the time. And so if they fucking see an elbow, that's uh, like a, right. a point of arousal. Right. That's your fault. You know, it's like, I was always like, ooh, 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 you know, like ickies, but you didn't know it was icky because it was normal. And then you get into a, a dynamic where that's just not the case at all. Right. And in terms of like, like I said, Ken is a very different libido than I am. And yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out because I do think there is this stereotype that men just want, I mean, whether it's Christian men or men in general, they want sex all the time and women are always the one like swatting them yes, away. Yes, yes, And I'm yes. like, that's just not true. Like, yeah. because then what that does for me, because I've had to confront this in myself too, is it makes me feel ashamed that I want sex so much. Right. I'm like, you know, why can't because and that was always an issue. Like I like I said, I've always been very excitable. And I always felt like I was, you know, I remember in I've high school. Very, I'm sorry. Just that phrase is just I don't know, it just tickled me. I've always been very excitable. Like that's just a funny I, way of putting it. But yeah, no, I totally well, get I re- that for sure. I remember talking to my friends in high school about like <laughs> Ken just walked through the door. He's gonna be like, Of course you're about to say this right as I walk through the door. Mm-hmm. I was talking to friends in high school, close friends, church friends, about masturbating, and they were all like, Ew, Maddie, no. I was for real. I've been doing it since I was like five. Mm-hmm. You guys don't masturbate? Like and I was just like, I don't know. So I've always had this feeling of like something was wrong with me because as a woman I had these this drive. Yes. And yeah, I just think it's super harmful and is yeah, probably the reason why a lot of relationships don't work out because there's not a lot of normalizing this ebb and flow seasons fluidity. It's not just one way because you're a man, not just one right. way because you're a woman. Well, I mean, I mean, I feel like like there are gender norms that are reinforced in both quote unquote secular and like Christian culture, right? And so yes. what happens when you're not that norm on either end of that of that conversation? And it makes you feel yeah. freaking weird or broken or like something's wrong with me. Yeah. And I think that what we're realizing is that the human experience, of course, listen, there are, we, we, we can measure trends. We can measure, hey, here's how things tend to work in general. And that's fine. Like, I get that. <laughs> I'm all about data. 
sure. Mm-hmm. But like, if we can't make room for, especially being sex being so unique and how there's so many different preferences and just like ways to have sex, you know, if we mm-hmm. can't make room that people are different and that some libidos are higher despite gender norms, whatever that is, and that's perfectly fine. I do feel mm-hmm. like it could be tough to be like, am I quote unquote, whatever we think normal is or not. And that can affect your relationship for freaking sure. So I think that's yeah. a, a really wise, I think, way to put it. And I think, I hope that a lot of people listening who might feel like you or like me at some point in their life are like, oh, okay, so I'm not broken. Like, no, you're absolutely yeah. not broken. It's okay to have a higher libido than your partner. It's okay mm-hmm. to think that, you know, maybe I don't want sex 24-7 like I was taught to. Like, that's okay. Yeah. You can listen to your body. You're going to be all right. My only recommendation right. as, a, as a non-professional, non-sex therapist is that I highly recommend communication and I recommend not hiding things from your partner. I think one of the biggest yeah. things, I don't care what it is, if you're hiding pornography from your partner, you really shouldn't. I mean, it's not even a matter for me mm-hmm. of like if OnlyFans is ethical or not. That's a whole different conversation. I'm mm-hmm. just saying like if you are watching porn often and your partner doesn't know that, I believe that's unhealthy for your relationship because it can feel like you're hiding something from them. And if you can't communicate mm-hmm. and talk that through and come on the same page with like how this na- how we navigate this and, and your preference versus my preference, those kinds of things will build up and become problematic for you long term, I think, you know? Exactly. It's a, it's a perfect example of like, it's not the porn, it's the hiding. Right. Like that, the porn is not the problem. Cause I, yeah, I heard that all the time. You know, every, every evangelical guy is like addicted to porn. And I'm like, I don't know if the porn is the problem. Like, I think it's, you know, everything else I discussed earlier, but it's like all these women. And I actually have a story about this in my book with my college boyfriend. And it's like, all these women feel like so you know, they're betrayed. And it's like, yeah, but it's not because of the porn. It's because of so much else. But the evangelical church doesn't like gray. Mm -hmm. They really like black and white. So instead of dealing with all the other mucky stuff, they just want to blame it on that. And I think another thing talking about all of this nuance within genders and da 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 is like, the reason and sexual uh, desire and libido and all of that. Another reason why like, I just had this voice as you were saying it, like, but the evangelical church would say, if you were like, yeah, but if you want it more sometimes or you don't, or you want it less sometimes, it's all okay. They would immediately be like, yeah, but is it okay? Is it okay? Because are you now, what are you saying? If, if men want to like fondle little boys, is that attraction? Okay. It's like, they always take it to the most extreme. It goes from like same sex marriage to like, pedophile you know it's so then you're you're afraid to navigate this nuance because it's just immediately polarized right you know so i just want to like normalize that for people i say in my my book like the the mental and emotional gymnastics required to do the deconstructing process olympic level because you every time you start to have like a breakthrough something like youth pastor phil pops into your head and it's like, but, but you're being a relativist. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the hard, when I first started TNE and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. When I first started TNE, I was, I was still navigating me being fully affirming. Like I was definitely in the camp of like, my heart says it's not sinful. I fully support Mm -hmm. the rights of queer people legally. I think that the church has done Mm -hmm. so much damage. I was there. 
But there was always this little voice like, but the Bible verses, but the Bible yeah. verses. I'm like, okay, like, what do I do with these Bible verses? And it took time yeah. for me to like learn or think about these things in a different way, right? So I think it's a great point to kind of end the conversation. Like if you have people in the back of your head, you know, Pastor Phil popping up, you know, I think that it's okay to recognize yeah. that Pastor Phil is still in your head and to know that it takes time and also a lot of work to rewire your brain to think about things differently and see things from a different perspective, you know? Also, mm-hmm. I want to mention just for the audience, I know that we did not talk about sexual abuse here or what happens when mm-hmm. things are not consensual and that whole side. So I, I totally understand that this conversation was really designed around deconstructing purity culture and how to find a sexual ethic going forward. We have a lot of other mm-hmm. podcast episodes and do a lot of content tracking, you know, the churches and places that commit so much harm and they're, and they're unaccountable for mm-hmm. it. So I was trying to make that little caveat. I recognize that friends, but this conversation yeah, was really totally. talking about really your new book, you know, God, sex and rich yeah. people and a lot about yeah. sex today. I don't know. It just yeah, kind of happened. I'm sex. like, well, here we are. Might as well go with yeah. it. You know? so. Well, and I do want to say a big, and I, I know we do have to wrap up, but I, cause God, sex and rich people, I work for billionaires. So I have to go work for billionaires I in see. a few minutes. But anyway, cool. that I, to your point about sexual assault, the reason I got into sexual trauma therapy is because I was date raped. Mm. And that's a whole story in and of itself. And I actually don't go too much into that in the book. The book is really just like those first years, 2013 to 2016 of like really pulling down the pillars of like deconstructing faith and deconstructing like the big hitters in purity culture, because I want to write a whole other book about everything we, I mean, you know, a big chunk of what we just talked about, which is like, making a blue a blueprint for boning. The title I have in my head is A Blueprint for Boning, How to Unfuck Yourself from Purity Culture and Finally Get Fucked. And that's going to be my second book. <laughs> Do you think your publisher will approve that title? Listen, Mark Manson has written so many books with the F word in it. So I think I can do it. I, I pitched the title to my publisher. I think I said, I, w- I want to name my book, Holy Shit, like the double meaning. And they're like, I don't think that's very marketable. And I'm like, We'll think about it. <laughs> I think it's incredibly remarkable. It's so funny. Right? Yes. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So now that great. I deconstructed, I probably curse too much. Like I'm in that phase where I'm just like, I just say all the words all the time for no reason because I can. And then I'm sure in 10 yeah. years, I'll look back and I'll be like, all right, Tim, you kind of overdid it. Let's come back more to the center and use the F word when it's actually applicable and not as like an adjective for everything. So I'm, I'm sure. Um. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we're from the East Coast. Like in Jersey, I mean, the Jersey bird is the middle finger, you know, like that's just yeah. how we are here. And I'm sure same thing. I know New York is just as brutal. So I'm just yeah. used to being around people who curse all the freaking time. And, yeah. you know, anyway, I know people find the podcast like, wait, you said you said fuck on the podcast. It's like, yeah, yeah I know we're Christian. I am a Christian, but I got to be honest, like if I, if I have one weak spot that is still in my sanctification it's process, cursing. it's cursing right now. So. Well, um, I'm so sorry. I should have asked before we got started because I am definitely a podcast. Oh no, no, uh, half, half of our podcast out of that part of my deconstruction. Half of our half of our podcasts are labeled E, you know. So this is yeah. this just fits okay, right good. in there. Yeah, you know, Maddie, it was great talking to you. This conversation went way longer than I thought, which is always a yeah. good thing. So I'm I'm glad that you made time. When does your book actually drop? Okay, so right now we're saying like winter spring 2024 so like march april ish but i did just release a blog post sort of like explaining some of the nuance within that release date stay tuned because that could change but sign like for all the latest updates and everything just follow me on instagram maddie joe kauser i know you can probably put that in the show notes and whatnot and then also subscribe to the blog maddie 
backslash God, sex and rich people, the word and not an ampersand. And then you can get all the updates there. But yeah, my latest blog is all about the book process and where it's at. So. Awesome. Well, thanks yeah. for making time. I'm sure we'll talk again. Yeah. Maybe we'll even hang out in the city. So I would love that. Tell me when your next uh, your next show is. We will totally come see you. Ken's dad was a professional drummer. So this is just oh, like perfect. all too. Wow, a lot yeah. of connections. Yeah, I know. All right, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for your time. All right, bye, Tim.